actually Wes Craven called our apartment and <laughs> one night. Yeah, I'm not kidding you. I, I was on the phone. He's like, hello. I was like, oh, uh, yeah. Can I talk to someone from Less Than Jake? Like, and, and Vinny, Vinny had answered. Vinny's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, it's uh, Wes Craven. And he's like, yeah, yeah put right. Yank in my third leg. <laughs> sure. you know? Yeah, yeah. Talking Records Podcast. Talking Records Podcast. Talking Records Podcast. We talk about our favorite records. Talking Records Podcast. We're so glad you tuned in. Thank you all for listening. You showed up to the right place. Jed and his friends dive deep and analyze the records we have grown to love. We'll tell you how we found the band. Track by track, breakdown of all the songs. So grab your favorite beverage and pull up a seat. Today we'll look at another record in its entirety. Hello, what's up everyone? My name is Jed and you are listening to a podcast that brings friends new and old together to talk about great records. I am absolutely thrilled to be joined today by Ryan. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm a fan of the podcast. I listen, I think I've listened to almost every episode at this point, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Awesome, man. Well, great to have you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. We're going to be joined by Chris the Makes from Less Than Jake in just a moment. But first, Ryan, I discovered your band Mixtapes in 2010. And like I was telling you the other day, I just loved what you guys were doing. Thank you. Yeah, that was right around when we first kind of started, really. That's awesome. I love that you guys had like all these songs on like various comps and stuff. And it was like, I remember just like collecting your music. And I remember that being really fun. It was sort of invigorating. Yeah, I always like just putting out a bunch of different stuff. It's funny because the name Mixtapes, I actually just got from the Promise Ring song, Make Me a Mixtape. Ah. But the way we put out music really was almost like a mixtapes approach because I'm really into hip hop, as you and I have talked about in yeah. rap and like always have been since I was in high school. And I really kind of followed that like at the time. Lil Wayne and people really were just putting out music everywhere randomly. I was like, well, why not just do that? Like, we just put music out all the time and record all the time. So we just tried to record all the time and put stuff out. Yeah, it was a neat idea because it was always exciting when a song would pop up. A new song that I hadn't heard before. (laughs) Right, yeah. Sometimes for better or worse, goofy or serious, it was uh, something to get out there for sure. So your new project, Massive Nights, just put out an album recently. Can you tell us a little bit about that? We did. It's called Trash Pop. And we recorded it really over like the last year and a half. It's kind of one of those albums that we started recording it. And then like I got married and then work stuff happened and then COVID happened. So we were just kind of, you know, finishing it up in pieces and we had bits and pieces of beats here and there. But uh, I think it turned out great. It's just like a poppy hip hop record. Um, I've been making music with the other two people in the group, Sarah and Tim, forever. I mean, the three of us have played. It's funny. We've played shows together like with everyone from like Kid Cudi and like Mac Miller to like have heart in a wrestling ring. Like we just like, we're always the hip hop group that played everywhere and it's cool. So it's a fun record. And I think, I I think it's awesome. It's going to be up on streaming sites and everything soon. So please check it out. That's awesome. Well, I checked it out, man. And I enjoyed it a lot. I always love it when people try new things, do different things. I mean, I had known for a while that you were into hip hop. It was cool. It was cool to finally hear it, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. I just kind of hip hop and uh, punk, I got into it at the same time in high school, and I just kind of always stayed really into both. So it's just always been two worlds I've been super interested in. You know, the two genres and the two scenes are not too different. They're not, and I think a lot of the time when I was in high school, because especially, you know, that was a time like I was in high school, there was a lot of political stuff. And a lot of the messages really were so similar to me. Like, it was all about, like, 
unity, racial unity, like anti-sexism, like just treating people right. Yeah. Like stuff that like at the time, I don't think we realized how serious it was. Cause as we get older and times have changed, we realized how important those messages were. It's not that I didn't think so when I was a kid, but I was just more like, yeah, right. you know, like, <laughs> of course, but we're not talking about a hip hop album today. We are talking about not. less than Jake's 2000 album of borders and boundaries. One of my favorite albums, probably of all time. Absolutely. Really. I, I really love, love this it. record. Yeah. Borders and Boundaries was released October 24th, 2000 on Fat Records. The album was recorded at Grandmaster Studios in Hollywood, California with producer Steve Kravak. Welcome to the show, Chris. We heard you singing on the intro, but we promised not to make you do any singing here. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, Ryan was just commenting, uh, uh, said that the song's catchy, which I said was a good thing because you would, wouldn't want people to tune out uh, before the damn show gets uh, started. Right? So it's a, it's a catchy one. So Chris, how many custom songs are you up to at this point? Or have you lost count? I haven't counted in a minute. I think it's somewhere around like 154, 155 that I've done jingles and, and stuff. It's been, yeah. It, it's it, awesome. Uh, I was lucky to have that to bide the time uh, uh, last year because, of course, well, people weren't, weren't allowed to go out on tour. So uh, definitely uh, uh, made the time go by quickly. I was, I was busy. All right, Chris, well, we want to take you back to some music you worked on over 20 years ago. So take us back to January remember. of 2000 <laughs> and turning your attention toward a new album. I remember it vividly. Borders oh. and Boundaries was supposed to come out on Capitol. So it was our third, it was our third record. Um, and we started, we started working on the album in the back of the tour bus on the Hello Rockby record. You know, we were out on that, that tour for probably a year and a half. And when I say a year and a half, it was like maybe come home for a week, you know, pet the dog, scratch your balls, throwing a, a load of laundry and you were back on the road. We were like go. hitting it, you know? So a lot of these songs were bore out of uh, the back lounge jams. Roger and I just with an acoustic guitar late at night or during the day. So, you know, we started writing the record and, during Hello Rock View, or just prior to Rock View, Roger had uh, got Capital to send him. They bought him like a just a little like 16 track ADAT mixer, you know, and it was all to have the ADAT tapes. And so we would get off the road. And we were starting to to do demos, and Roger had built out the basement of his house. He had built a little control room with glass, and um, that was his first functioning uh, studio. We actually had the producer, Steve Kravak, come down uh, near the end of it and, and fine tune some of the demos. We, we wanted to just kind of get them. And some of the demos didn't sound too much different than the record. I remember is this thing on was a song that was, was really close, you know, and, and the reason we use Steve and I'll stop after this to let you ask, ask the next question, because I, I sound like a run on sentence. But the reason we used Steve was, I'll never forget Howard Benson, the producer on Rockview. Mm -hmm. um, I said, man, this has been such a cool experience. The record's so great. And he looked at me and goes, yeah, the record's great. But if it doesn't sell two million copies, I won't be here for the next one. Oh. And he's, <laughs> Howard, he's, 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 he's such a realist. Yeah. And I'll never forget him saying that. And he wasn't there for the next one. He oh, wasn't. Uh, no. we, we really gelled with Steve. He was actually the uh, guitar tech basically the second, second engineer in the studio. 
uh, he engineered uh, Hello Rock View, and that's how we met him. Oh, right. He'd also done a couple MXPX records, so he was there the record before, and we had a good a good rapport with him. So that's how how he came about. I was telling Jed earlier. I remember the day I bought this album like vividly, which is weird. It's one of those few albums, and I went to a place here my senior year of high school. It was called CD World, and I remember I CD World. <laughs> and uh, the guy that worked there was this like old school guy and I bought the record. I remember going out to my car and uh, the artwork. I remember thinking, A, I remember seeing it was very Gainesville f- focused, which I thought was cool. And I remember if I'm not crazy on the back of the album, it had like a little one of those things that you could spin around, right? Yes. With like the destination of miles from different locations to Gainesville. Correct. And you could spin it. And I remember getting in my car and looking at that. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I just sat there spinning it, looking at it before I put it in. And uh, I think I noticed lyrically, I think on this album and art wise, it was like a lot of Gainesville focus. And you guys always definitely had Gainesville in your songs, but that album seemed more so. I don't Was that like a focus on purpose or just kind of end up that way? Well, I, I think it ended up that way because I think that, you know, I've always said Vinny's lyrics are always 10 years later. So, you know, like, so, and and I, and I know that to be fact and I'll explain why real quick. So, uh, you know, our first seven inches and first records, they were all about his growing up in New Jersey before I met him. You know, he moved to Florida when he was 16. I met him when he just turned 19. I was 15. So he was always like my older punk rock brother and his lyrics were about what he had experienced and what he went through. And as we got older, you, know, you look at a record, like I remember starting with Borders and Boundaries and then really picked up on Anthem. People were just like, oh, this record sucks and their new stuff, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then what happened? <laughs> Five, six, seven years later, after these people went through divorces, <laughs> uh, you know, the family dog died, Uncle Jim passed away. And they, they started living and in, in experiencing life as you do as you get older. They went back, holy shit, that record really hits me here. So lyrically yeah it, it was changing because by 2000 uh Vinny and i had lived in gainesville since 1992 so it had been almost a decade of his life that makes sense that's really cool that's interesting and you're definitely right because honestly a lot of the lyrics on those albums i relate to so much more as i get older and appreciate and it's really cool to see that because you're 100 percent right so that's yeah. really cool to hear yeah so you had uh, most of the songs worked out in the back of the tour bus you left most the company- of them we actually wrote Faction for the Scream 2 soundtrack. Oh, really? But then, Yeah, but then we ended up going with I Think I Love You, the, the Partridge mm-hmm. Family cover, because yeah. actually Wes Craven called our apartment and <laughs> one night. Yeah, I'm not kidding you. I, all of a sudden the phone was like, oh, I was like, oh, yeah, can I talk to someone from Less Than Jake? Like, and, and Vinny, Vinny had answered. Vinny's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, it's so Wes Craven. And he's like, yeah, yeah put right. yank in my third leg. You know? sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, sure, buddy. No, and it was actually him. He's like, wow. really, I really like your sound. And I think it'd be cool if you guys did an upbeat version of "I Think I Love You." And when I heard the song, I was like, "You want us to cover? That's the worst fucking song I've ever heard about." <laughs> and I remember, for some reason, I had went back home. I had a cop, a cassette copy of "I Think I Love You" when we cut the track. And I, I my parents were like, "Oh, you even up to ah." start recorded a new song for the scream Two soundtrack popped in my mom sing sang every word she knew the song <laughs> i had never heard that song prior to getting asked to do it so anyways faction was written for that different intro and some other stuff but the main chorus hook was was written but we reworked it for borders and boundaries oh wow 
So you left the comfy confines of Gainesville and headed out to Hollywood to record this album. Why did you set up out there? I think that we wanted to get away from the distractions of life. Mm. You know, all of our girlfriends and, and anybody married? Yeah, one person was married. Wives at the time. We were all living in this little bubble where you go five minutes. You, Brian's been there. Have you been there before? I have not. You have not. Yeah, it's very small. You know, you got your university and your cluster of a downtown, and then you go five miles in any direction, you're in the woods. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's very easy to be in the middle of tracking going, hey, you, you need to come home. The, you know, the uh, roof's leaking. Ah, you know, yeah. so I think that was part of it. We wanted to get away. We also thought it was cool that uh, one of our favorite records at the time was The Color and the Shape by Foo Fighters. And yeah. David, David tracked the drums at, at Grandmaster Studios. That mm -hmm. drum intro for My Hero just sounds like cannons yeah. going off. And it was really interesting because what they did was they had Dave set up in, in, in the main room. And then they ran speakers out into this huge garage and they re-mic the speakers too. So that's that thunderous sound that you hear. Oh, it was wow. pretty, pretty interesting. <laughs> that's cool. Um, Steve wanted to work there because he really liked that room. He thought it would be a good place to, to work. It was right, right smack dab in Hollywood and there was plenty of stuff for a young band of things <laughs> to get, sure. get into trouble with late at night. <laughs> so it was kind of kind of the perfect place to be. Nice. That makes perfect sense. That's awesome. I kind of have kind of a two-parter question here. The first part is what was the recording process like in general, especially coming from Rockview and Losing Streak? And B, I know on your podcast that you do a lot as well, you said that Hello Rockview was the record where you kind of learned to sing. Since it was the follow-up record here, do you feel like you really got to take that and kind of run with it? Like when you were doing vocals on this in the recording process, did you notice a big difference? Well, we didn't track this to Pro Tools. We tracked Borders and Boundaries to tape. Uh <laughs> so the only thing was at the very end because steve was really anal retentive he wasn't happy with some of the harmony stuff some of our like long holdout woes mm -hmm. they just weren't perfect we're not perfect <laughs> you know roger and i can sing pretty damn well together but steve was hearing something and he knew a guy because remember, this was still pretty primitive Pro Tools in, in, in 2000. We recorded that record, the Borders and Boundaries record in April 2000. And, you know, he brought a friend in and he did some touch-ups. But for the most part, that's Roger and I singing on there. But there was some vocal touch-ups. None of the horns were touched up. None of the, the drums or anything else. I mean, the drums were cut. Steve was actually cutting tape mm -hmm. uh, for, for drum edits. Ugh. But uh, all the guitars were, were, were played, you know, as you hear them, you know, edited, punched punching in but yeah that whole record was a tape so coming from the previous album Rockview, where you know howard made everything pitch perfect and really taught me how to sing to that record because i wanted to be able to pull it off live so yeah. when we went to cut borders i was two years removed from that singer i was already at a different place vocally i was really starting to learn about pitch which i already i, I always had pretty good pitch but delivery and timing and being able to listen to a producer hey can you can you back off five percent well, what mm. the hell does that mean to the normal person i know what <laughs> that means now you know can you yeah. can you give it a little more pizzazz in that last line just on that one word okay and i can get it in the ballpark on the first try no no just a little bit more oh, okay but i didn't know those things you know rock view and, and prior so going into this it was a whole different ball game vocally because we had been through a lot as a band by that point 
I got to ask real quick is going from Rockview using Pro Tools, going back to tape on borders and boundaries, was it cool or was it like almost more frustrating where you were like, I'm going Pro Tools from now on forever? We didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Because Steve would, would stay after cutting friggin' tape for hours uh, okay. on, on drums. <laughs> there was tape edits all over the window. So basically, Pro Tools, you do a lot of drum editing. Okay, yeah. and it's very easy to, okay? You can make all the kick drums line up and no one's the perfect player, very few guys. And those guys are those studio musicians and, you know, guys like, I mean, I can name a few of them. Mickey D who played Motorhead and King Diamond, the dude's a monster. Like Howard Benson talked to me about him recording him. It's like, he'll put the, put the headphones on with the metronome, go tick, 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 put the headphones off. Yeah. Count off, start playing the song. All right, I got and it. And Howard, <laughs> Howard will put the metronome on for the four-minute song, and he, he didn't differentiate one song. Oh, so there insane. are guys like that, but very few. So for us, it wasn't any different because we were still still cutting parts. We were still singing the vocals. So it wasn't until we all started to get our own Pro Tools home <laughs> studios and, 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 and learn the ins and outs of it, which for me was around 2003. I built my first studio, which was Pro Tools. You know, now it's like, you know, I could never go back just for time purposes alone. And... I sound so much better when I can fix my shit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Be more in control of it, yeah. All right, so the album was engineered by Steve, but the album was mixed by Bill, Stefan, and Jason at the Blasting Room. How'd you connect with those guys? Well, you know, Steve had taken the record over to A&M. And a lot of times when you, uh, A&M Studios out in, in LA, Steve had done yeah. a lot of work there. He did, uh, I think he recorded Mix Slowly Going the Way the Buffalo, the MXPX record there. And for us, um, you know, a lot of times, and I can't, you know, speak for Steve, but I know that producers will get fatigued. They'll be immersed in that bubble of producing and creating these songs. And hell, Steve came down, I think the first time was November of 99. And he came back uh, December 99 to, to work on some more demos. We started tracking, I think, middle of yeah, I think it was like March. March, we started recording the record. He came, he was definitely there in December because I spent uh, Y2K with Steve. Steve, <laughs> Steve and I hung out in, Gain, in Gainesville that night. Rang it in. So he probably came back maybe February. But we had spent, like I said, probably a couple months together with him. Then went and the record took six weeks to record. It was to tape. So it was yeah. a lot of work. It wasn't, yeah. you know, that record would have taken two, two and a half, maybe three weeks to, to record with Pro Tools. So sure. it took it took du double the time. And I think he got fatigued. We were getting these mixes back from A&M and they just sounded flat. Mm. And I know Steve's not a bad mixer. He doesn't have a bad ear. Uh, after this anticipation, we knew we made a good sounding record. We knew the guitar tones were good. We knew the, the vocals sounded good. The bass sounded great. The horns especially sounded great. We knew that. And I remember sitting in my car. It was actually Vinny's 30th birthday. I had a party at my house and I got a cassette in the mail that day. I popped the cassette in. It was two songs. It was Bigger Picture and Mr. Chevy Celebrity. And I was just like, I've never musically, I mean, I've had music make me cry like emotionally, but I've never wanted to cry over a mix. I mean, I had a lump in my throat. I was like, Oh, sorry, Steve, if you hear this, but just, it was just, you know, I knew the sounds and the performances that Steve got. He produced the hell out of the record. He did a great job, mm -hmm. but I wasn't hearing what I heard in the studio. I was like, mm -hmm. what happened? Where's the yeah. guitars? So we knew or thought we could achieve that with Bill and Stefan. And I think they knocked, we were on tour in 
with snuff and this would have been June or July, maybe August, June or, June or July of 2000. We were in the UK on tour with snuff and we got FedEx to cassette to a venue. And I put, I remember it was Gaines or Rock City is one of the first. I put the headphones oh, on. Wow. I was just like, good one. Ah, yeah. here it there is. There it is. <laughs> so they, 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 they knocked it out of the park. And you must have really trusted them to let them mix it with you guys out on the road. So, well, yeah, you know, they just, by that point, you know, Bill had the blasting room and they yeah. just had gotten so good. And we had done some of us touring with them and the, like the all records they were doing in the late nineties, like mass murder just sounds mm-hmm. amazing. So we yeah. knew that they were, they were on to something mix wise. The album was mixed by Bill, Stefan, and Jason. But one song, Is This Thing On, was actually mixed by Tom Lord Alge. Uh, why, did, why did he mix just one song? I think we had him do that one because we wanted it to be maybe a single. They were uh, thinking of, you know, going to radio. And, and Tom's just such an amazing mixer. But that's funny. Nobody's brought that up to me in 20 years. I had forgotten all about that. He also remixed Sugar in the Gas Tank. I have a remix of that, which oh, really? sounds... Yeah, he had done a remix of that song. Um, we were going to put it on a soundtrack to something that fell through. And I, I got it on, in a cassette somewhere in, in my closet. I don't know if I'd ever even be able to find it. But, but yeah, it sounded, sounded pretty big and, 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 and ballsy. So as you're recording this album, I know Capitol was going through a bunch of different changes, layoffs, everything was going crazy. And then I know they basically gave you the option to stay or go. Was that right? To take the record with you or, you know, I honestly don't know if we got dropped or if we left, it's like that old song, you know, you, you can't fire or the old saying, you can't fire me. I quit. Like I, I, I really, I really don't know. I just, one thing I do know is we weren't on their radar. We didn't sell enough records. Mm, right. You know, by that point, maybe Losing Streak had sold two or 300,000 and, and Rockview was maybe around two or 200,000 or something. Crazy so, to think that a few hundred thousand records wasn't on somebody's radar. Well, yeah, it, it, it is. And a lot of people, I mean, <laughs> yeah. on the same yeah. token, I would have loved to have sold 300,000 records on our own label. We would have been wiping mm. our ass with $100 bills. <laughs> but we can't, we can't discredit Capital's involvement. I mean, Capital Records, they got us out there. We were front-loaded in Tower Records, CD World. You know, mm-hmm. places had our stuff. That kind of visibility, you couldn't get on an indie label. At least we couldn't at that time. So not to under, undervalue their performance, but... Uh, we got assigned an a and guy named Ron Lafitte and Ron's claim to fame was he was Megadeth's manager at the time, which I was sold. I'm like, cool, that's going to be an A&R guy. You know, and, and he came down to the studio and he was listening to the songs and out of all the tunes, he's like, that's the single. And he, and he, and he was talking about Look What Happened, which pretty mm-hmm. good ear. It's probably one of the, you know, most yeah. single worthy songs on the album. Yeah. And that would have been in when Ron came down maybe April it was near the end of the record. Steve was kind of putting, you know, putting all the faders up on the board, letting Ron listen. Was there anybody else there from Capitol? Like you said, most of the people had left. And then it was a couple of weeks later, our manager was just like, Hey, so, you know, I'm having a hard time getting people on the phone over there, this, this, and that. And maybe the writing's on the wall. We should, we should bail, which is interesting because if borders had come out on Capitol, we never would have heard the end of it because it was so drastically different than mm. Rockview. And we had stuff like last hour, the last day of work, is this thing on the mm. intro to look what happened that were like ballady. Almost. Yeah. 
yeah. more, and it's a definitely more of a rock record. That's what right. we were going for. Definitely. Um, but the fact that it got picked up by Fat, everyone was like, "This is great!" You know, yeah. so it's a punk which, record. Yeah. Which, yeah. which the jokes on them because it was supposed to be on Capitol. I got the poster right here. Yeah. <laughs> That is, that's great. Shows you how labels controlled things then. Oh, not, totally. Not, not record labels, but like labels that you, you put on things. That's like, yeah. oh, you slap a fat records thing on, now it's cool. You know? Now it's a punk record. It's the yeah. it's like, it's the raw one, the rock guitar record. Exactly. What attracted you guys to fat kind of going from Capitol and more so, I mean, other than it just being fat, was it an obvious decision or did you guys kind of take some time? Was it? No, it was really quick. You know, it, Mike is a businessman, always has been. We met Mike around 1998. He came to see us play at Bottom of the Hill. He liked the band. He had never seen us. He came out one night and afterwards he came on the bus. Basically, we had the next day off in San Francisco. So we had been building this night up. It was called the Night of Reckless Abandon. We were on tour with all. And uh, <laughs> let's just say there was a, a lot of illegal activities going on on that bus <laughs> that night. And we were, everyone was up till about noon the next day, including Mike. And um, so basically it was just, we had met him, broed down. And then we had this record from Capitol that all Mike had to do was pay for the recording costs. And the record was his, just buy it off of them. Mm-hmm. And he knew the price they were selling him the record and how many records we had sold and his marketing machine to market us as a punk, you know, and get all those people that maybe weren't buying us because we were on capital. Um, Mike knew that it was, it was a no brainer. I mean, I don't even think we wasn't even an idea of shopping it anywhere. And it's funny too, because when you go back to the eighties or even in the early nineties, if a band got dropped by a major, a lot of times their career was over. Yeah. They couldn't function. Yeah. Right. And for us, it was just like, we already had a list of tour dates for the next year and a half that were booked. <laughs> we were playing warp tours to thousands of kids. We, yeah. were, we had this fan base that we That's had great. built organically even before Capitol. Yep. So my only, for nostalgic reasons, bummer leaving Capitol. I love the Capitol Tower out there that you see in every oh, yeah. movie. Uh, it was the label that... I always had this sixth sense as, as a kid. My, my dad loved the Beach Boys, and I used to stare mm-hmm. at that logo. I remember my mom had got me a Iron Maiden Live After Death for like a Christmas gift, and I just would stare at that Capitol logo. I never knew why out of all the labels. It was like this premonition, you know? So there was some, some of those types of feelings I had. But other than that, I, I didn't care less. It, the album <laughs> could have come out on whatever label. I knew we made a good record, but it was great that Fat picked it up. Yeah. Had you guys ever sent any of your old stuff to Fat back in the day to try to get signed to Fat? Yeah, we got the rejection letter. Mike, uh, <laughs> Mike wasn't in, Mike wasn't interested. I think we sent. Wave that in his face. I That's awesome. Him, I think yeah, we did. We sent him Pezcor because we were getting courted by Capital, and we wanted to see what else was out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sent it to Epitaph and got got uh, denied. We sent it to Fat and. I want to say there was another major in there. It might've been like a subsidiary one where they would hide under a, you know, like punk rock one oh one records, but it was actually right. under Mercury records or something, yeah. you know, like there was a, there was another label, I think, but, but uh, you know, ultimately we ended up signing with capital. Say, I know before the record came out, um, Darren left the band, right? Is that before the album was released? No, I'll tell you how he left the band. This okay. Is a good one. It's a true story. It goes to show you how, how weird Darren is. I love you, Darren. Um, I say weird. Like, how can I say anyone's weird? Like, my whole band is weird. But That's why it's okay. Yeah, most bands are weird. Yeah. So, Darren, no, no bullshit. 
our manager comes up and uh, we were managed by Kevin Lyman at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kevin is, a, I say his assistant, but his co-manager, Laura Murphy, she comes up, she's sitting on the couch and we're at the, we're at the upstairs lounge, a grandmaster. And um, I don't know, Ryan, if you saw or either one of you saw my Instagram, I got pictures of me and Lemmy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lemmy came down to the borders and boundaries uh, recording sessions. And that was in the upstairs. There was a bar up there. It's like an upstairs bar and lounge. So Laura just comes up one day and we're just like, I got to talk to you guys. She had a list of stuff and she's sitting down on the couch. We're all sitting around. She's like, I need to know your sizes. We're doing photo shoots. I got a bunch of clothing companies. You're going to give us free clothes. Chris, go. I'm like, yeah, you know, size 11 shoe, large shirt, uh, you know, pants, 36. All right, Vinny. You know, Vinny's like, yeah, pants, 36, uh, you know, shoes, 10 and a half. Uh, Darren, um, I'm not going to be needing to do that. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and, my, and I was the first one to speak. I go, I go, shut the fuck up, dude. Tell your fucking sizes. Yeah, knock it off. He's like, no, no, I'm serious. I'm not going to be needing to give you my sizes. Now, Darren was very matter of fact when he talked. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, what the fuck? Give her your fucking What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you doing? Like, no, when we're, when we're done recording, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the band. Like, wow. you're deciding to tell us this now? <laughs> you know, um, we uh, had, had news for him, though. As soon as we were done recording the record, like we got the, a tour book with Snuff in uh, May, May of 2000, May, May or June. That's when we were getting the mixes back from Bill and Stefan. <laughs> and we said, dude, we got a 30-day tour, a, a huge tour. Ring. And I go, you're freaking going, dude. <laughs> and, uh, we hazed him pretty hard on that last tour, but he, he ended up having a good time. It was a, it was a good send-off. But yeah, that's how Darren left the band. It was during the recording of Borders and Boundaries. Mm. So, that is a great story. And that is- wasn't a, wasn't a bad split. He, you know, he... <laughs> He came into this band kind of late. He knew that he wanted to have more control in the musical. Uh, and, and we've always kind of been a democracy as a band, but more control from a songwriting standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, and that's when mm-hmm. he started his band Gun Mall. And, but there was never bad blood. So. so, yeah, if your manager ever sits you down for a band for a photo shoot, <laughs> you know, better just... Uh, that's possibly the coolest way to quit a band ever. What a time to <laughs> yeah, pick, yeah, I got to give them props now. If yeah. you think about it, it's pretty hilarious. I've got really you all is. in the room, so I might as well say it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, Chris, one last question. I just want to, I just thought of it. It popped in my head. The artwork for the album actually is different. Uh, you redid the art. What, why was there, what was the decision to redo the artwork? It was just because we had, we had redone the art um, just to differentiate when we did uh, Sleep It Off Records which Sleep It Off Records uh, okay. was just a less than Jake imprint. We never signed bands. It was just a, a way for us to put out our own own records. So we just did var- variations of the art, which uh, that was about 13 year- years ago. We did those reissues 14 years ago. Enough time has passed where I can say, I hated the artwork then and I hate it now. <laughs> anyway, there you go. Fair. Not, I the like original, not the original artwork, the reissue artwork. The reissues. Yeah, they like, were very uh, different color choices. Yeah, I just, I don't know. It's like, okay, cool. Well, it's different, but, it, you know, different doesn't mean it's better. But mm. <laughs> All right, you heard it I here. lost that argument. <laughs> well, awesome, Chris. Thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight and talking about Borders and Boundaries. We had a blast talking with you. Yeah, Rock thank on. you so thank you so much. All right, Very dudes. Cool. Yeah, All right, thanks. Chris, thanks again. Thank you, guys. Talk awesome. to you guys soon. Bye. Thank you. All right, so, Ryan, I want to know, how'd you get into Borders and Boundaries? I, I do remember, and actually, I, I told a little bit of it with Chris, but basically, I remember Less Than Jake was one of my favorite bands back then. I was in high yeah. school. It was a junior, senior the year it came out. Yeah, you know, I'd already loved, you know, Pezcore, Losing Streak, and Hello Rock View, and it was kind of, I remember at that time, I don't know where you lived at the time, but at that point, Less Than Jake definitely, like, 
they were coming through Cincinnati three or four times a year at least, it seemed wow. like. I mean, they were just always torn. So I remember I was just always watching them, and I was so excited for the record to came out to come out. So I went to a place called CD World here, bought it from this guy that worked there forever. And I remember getting in my car and just putting it on. And uh, one thing I'll say about this record, and I'll get more into it when we do the track by yeah. track in detail, is that I think it really does show off almost every facet of Less Than Jake. Because mm. I feel like there's different eras of Less yep. Than Jake. I feel like in Borders and Boundaries, you get so much of it. And it's not that you don't know the records, because I guess that sounds like a broad thing to say. But I'll break it down more on the track by track to explain what I mean awesome. exactly. <laughs> but I just think it's a very, like, if you love Less Than Jake, like, I just think there's so much here. Like, I was listening to it again a couple hours ago, and I just, like, lyrically to just sonically, it's just so good. Yeah. This record came out when I was, I believe, a sophomore in college. And it came out during a very turbulent time in my life, a time I certainly do not care to revisit. But sure, I understand. <laughs> I know it sounds super cliche to say that, you know, music got me through it, but I wholeheartedly believe that albums like this one and a few others really did get me through that time. Yeah. You know, this was the music I turned to when I needed something familiar, something comforting to focus my attention on when it seemed like everything else was so unstable. You know, Less yeah. Than Jake came through. Definitely. This album featured more of a like a punk and a hard rock side to the band. The CD had arrived at the, the radio station I worked at in college. And I just remember being so excited for new Less Than Jake music at the time. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. As a longtime fan dating back to 96, I was noticing that the band's overall sound and songwriting was improving with each record. So I remember being really excited when this one came out. I agree. I do remember being it just it's just more musical. Yeah. I think Hello Rob you started that a little bit and they've gotten way better at that over the last years, obviously. But at that time, I mean Pezcore, Losing Streak, and Hello Rob View were great, but there was very there was no fat on them. I mean the songs were pretty much there, maybe here or there. Mm -hmm. Hello Rob View really I think expanded musical parts like that you'd never really seen them do before. Yeah. All right, well you ready to break this album down track by track? I'm ready. Let's do it. The album starts with Magnetic North. Magnetic North. The band's yep. previous album, Hello Rockview, announced itself with an explosive bass riff from Roger. On Borders, bass once again is the first instrument we hear, but this time a deeper, slower, more somber riff kicks off the album. Yeah, yeah I think that bass riff, it's funny because you're right, they couldn't start more different. Hello Rockview <laughs> is frantic as it can be. I mean, as fast as it can be, it's got the sample, it's kind yeah. of... All over the it place. Explodes. This one is very gently plucked bass notes. But for Roger, this is probably like the most simple bass thing of all time. But I'll say that I feel like that's one of the most iconic bass riffs of Lesson Jake to me, though. Like that album. I don't know when I got in my car and bought it that day. I remember when it comes in, everything comes in. It just hits so good. Yeah. I was standing at a show once and the person working sound put it on over the PA between bands and just that. Those deep bass tones, like everyone just kind of yeah. like started like kind of clapping a little bit at this show, like because they knew what was coming on. It's just a strong opening song, and it really does let you know. I think like this is like a rock record, and it's like it's it has sounds so good, like it sounds so full. Yeah. You immediately know it's always nice, and I think anybody listening to this can relate when a band you like makes a new record, and you get halfway through the first track, and you're like, "All right, cool, like okay, we're good." Yeah. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Because yeah. sometimes you get the first track and be like, oh, I don't know. And like, 
this is one of those records like i'm sure you knew when you got it too a song or two into it you were like okay we're gonna be good through this record oh yeah we're cooking less than jake i could talk about their lyrics forever in its own podcast because i mean yeah like you said i mean they've got me through a lot as mm-hmm. well but lyrically the song's a great starting point i mean that chorus the lyrics are just so good less than jake has such a way of writing simple ideas into such like stuff that i would never think of right though. Well, yeah, I mentioned yeah. that this album was released during a very difficult year of my life. When I first heard lines like, there's been times misdirections found me and mentions of clear heads and clean slates, I honestly felt like these lines were like calling out to me. I know that sounds cliche. I can hear how cliche it sounds, but it's the honest <laughs> no, to God truth. Yeah. I knew that this song was probably about other things, but when I heard those phrases, they just totally resonated with me. Yeah. Completely. I completely understand that. I think, yeah, they just have a good way of connecting with you. And if you feel, yeah, you're right. It does feel cliche to say, but I mean, behind those cliches, there's some good truths, yeah. right? Cause I mean like music's comforting and they, they just, it was a good way to relate. And I think that was just such a good song off the bat. I couldn't imagine the album starting with a different song. No, definitely not. It's a song that seemed to me to be about being stuck in a place surrounded by people who kind of make you crazy, kind of make you nuts. <laughs> Maybe people you don't yeah. understand. Everyone here hates everyone here for doing the same thing that they do. You mentioned the simplicity of that, that lyric, lyric before, but it's yeah. so true. But it's it's such a good lyric, though, because it's such a simple way to be like, to me, I think when I heard it, it was a good song to just kind of be like, remember even, yeah, like just being like, it's a good song to be like, oh, those people that bother you, like don't let them bother yeah. you. Like everyone's the same. Like it's cool. Like you don't have to worry about it. And it was such a positive type thing without being corny. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at Keho. Like the song Crazy Glue from Losing Streak, this song seems to look at our beliefs as tradition. You see this all the time with people who just think something should be a certain way just because it's always been that way in the past, which completely drives me nuts. (laughs) You know? Yes, absolutely. In the changing world, we as humans need to be able to think critically about our surroundings and make decisions for the right reasons, not because something is tradition, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think Less Than Jake sings about this idea they have before, and I think it's cool because I feel like it's done better here, if that makes yeah. sense. Like, I feel like the lyrics just seem stepped up instead of kind of like, because tradition and things you say, like, yeah, like on Crazy Glue, the lyrics are literally tradition, stick to you, yeah. and things like yeah. that, which are great. But this song kind of came in with a different poetry about it, like the stuff like faded stickers and crumpled yeah. flyers and things like there's a youthful energy to it, but again, nostalgia. without being corny, like it seems, it, it doesn't seem it is authentic. You can tell, like talk to and hear it. And uh, like you said, I think it was a cool way to bring up a, a topic again that might've been tackled before as a normal topic, but in a way that sounds perfect. Yeah. And I think this song is cool too. Cause again, I think especially going into track two, they're really driving in here. Like the rock record, yeah. I think because, <laughs> It is a little different, you know what I mean? Because, you know, like, it's just a rock song with horns. Mm-hmm. And Lesson Jake always kind of was just a punk band with horns, but this just is a different vibe, you know? And anybody that knows the record, I think, would probably agree for the most part. But it just is different. It's a rock. It's rock. And it's punk, too, and it's ska in some parts, but it's it's rocking. It's a big rock record. Drummer Vinny, who handled most of the lyrics, points out that, yeah, those faded stickers and crumpled flyers, they've become the reminder that there's an anthem in us that fits the flag we've flown for years. So, yes, 
the things we've grown up with and the things that may hold sentimental value for us shape who we are. But sometimes you have to remember to think about why you're doing something or why you think a certain way, uh, you know, and get off autopilot. I mean, you live in Ohio. <laughs> Can you believe how long <laughs> yeah. it's taken the Cleveland baseball team to drop Indians from their <laughs> name? I mean, come on. <laughs> I don't, I mean, yeah, I think some people are stuck, yeah. you know, and they, they probably don't even know why. And they're probably people that don't ever have to tell anybody why. Maybe that's the problem. Right. They don't really ever have to face themselves, yeah. you know? And I think Lesson Jake's good at that too, is facing yourself and a lot of it. And Lesson Jake is a, as a band, I think lyrically is cool. It, they might say things about other people, but it's always about looking back at yourself too. And like, yeah, that's important, right? Like it's key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Suburban Myth. This might be one of my two, two or three favorite songs on the record. I don't like to number things, but this is a, this is up there. This is this one is up this there. Is a good one. I really feel like if you just took out the production, scrap your vocals and everything, this could be like a Pez core song. And I think I like that about oh, it. Yeah. To me, like it just comes in real kind of janky in the verses, and it's, but it's. I mean, they're obviously a lot more tighter now. But like, picture less than Jake back then playing that. And I could see him playing this song on Pez core, and I like that about it. This is the first of only a few songs on this album to actually include ska guitar. Chris had mentioned when we spoke (laughs) to him that this was the direction the band was heading in at the time. The following year, the Mad Caddies would release Walk the Plank, which was a predominantly punk album. And so I guess, you know, some people were probably worked up about, you know, all these bands were sort of dropping ska and, you know, adopting more of a punk sound or a hard rock sound. But, you know, as a massive ska fan, I I didn't see it that way. I mean, you got to remember that for a lot of these bands, the early 2000s was a time when some were releasing their fourth, maybe fifth albums, maybe more. Yeah. And I never viewed it as bands fleeing ska as much as, you know, in an effort to expand and focus uh, on additional things. You know, it's like Less Than Jake had always been a punk band. Uh, They're a ska band, too, but... This record to me always felt like them exploring more of a rock, more of a more of a punk side to things. Yeah, I definitely 100% agree with that. And I think it's cool is like to have a little scars in there nice, but like you said, it's very tastefully done. Like they don't hit you over the head with it. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think they hit you over the head with the rock either. Right. Like I think the songs are just so well balanced and I think it's cool and this is another song like you said I'm about to dark times we don't want to talk about, but like as I get older, less than Jake just grows with you. Like the lyrics of the song are great. Like saying things like hit the streets tonight, show you where I drank on the job, hung out in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this song definitely goes back to my days where I think about things, but like it's cool. Like it grew with me. Like when I discovered this album, I was listening to it in 11th grade, that lyric might not have resonated with mm-hmm. me, even though I love the song, but it's cool to still listen to it now and like. You know, not a lot of bands you can say that about, especially in the punk world, I feel like. So that's a pretty impressive thing, I guess, you know, 20 years later. Yeah, it's a very nostalgic song. Uh, Roger takes the vocal on this one and sort of, I like it because he tells us about, you know, various important landmarks in the in the Less Than Jake world, you know. And whether it was written by Vinny or, you know, maybe the band as a whole, uh, you know, they were a pretty sure. tight-knit group. So, you know, all these mentions of, of things like drinking on the job or uh, where I lost my job or got chased by the cops, you know, all that stuff uh, where we played our <laughs> where first, they played show. Their first show. It feels like a, yeah. yeah, it feels like a collaborative and I, I love that. And, you know, it's like, I still drive past, you know, the place where my band played its first show all the time. And it's kind of cool yes, to just yeah. you know, have that memory. And, <laughs> and, Same. And yeah. hundred yeah. percent. 
It's a cool reflection. It is cool. There's a cool nostalgia to it. And uh, it's like, I think this album, I'll say as well, is sequenced so well. Yes. And that makes such a difference. I think it really is. Because, I mean, it can make or break a lot of albums. And this album, I think with those two rock songs and going into a little bit of the ska, but still still kind of on a different vibe. It doesn't have like the ska. Like, it's not like a Johnny Quest, you know, type. Like, it's still... Mm -hmm is keeping the vibe of the record. And I think they just do a really good job of putting that right in order that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to another great song, Look What Happened. So this song first appeared here on Borders and Boundaries and then was actually brought back for Anthem. The band yeah. wanted to rearrange the song a bit, feeling they didn't quite nail it on Borders and Boundaries. And I think they made the right call. I love the song. And I agree. It's the Anthem version that I actually prefer. I, I feel like it... It picks up a little bit. It gets right to the point. They kind of cut out that that introduction yeah. section with the horns. Then the, the getting to the point made a yeah. big difference. <laughs> Yeah, I agree 100%. I think this song was awesome, too. And again, like going to the different eras of Lesson Jake, this song kind of the last one I said, Pezcore. This one kind of, I think, foreshadows, obviously, Anthem and kind of into In With The Out mm -hmm. crowd. Kind of them trying something different. Because I remember distinctively getting to this song when I got the record, and I'm sure you did, too. And the intro coming in and just being like, huh? And like not in a bad way at all. It was just, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we ever heard Chris sing, sing like that until that song. Mm -hmm that I can think of really like, and just that soft intro yeah, like that. Yeah. And then when it kind of comes in halftime, I remember just thinking like, this is awesome. They're kind of showing they can just do different things. And like you said, I never, I never took it as, Oh, Scott's not cool. We're not going to play it. I took it as a band. Yeah. That you said have been around for years and made multiple records on multiple labels and right. toured the world saying like, yeah, we can do other stuff too. Let's have some fun. I mean, how could I ever fault somebody for that? And especially like if I'm going to get songs like this, cause yeah, this is classic lesson. Jake, but you're definitely right is um, at the time I didn't know it. But once I heard it recorded on Anthem, they made the right call. I think it's got a little bit more snap Fix, to it. Fixing it a little bit. Yeah. yeah, definitely for sure. But I love this song. I just I love that chorus. I, I just think it's so catchy. I love singing along to it. You know, we'll walk in circles yeah. around this whole block, walk on the cracks and the same old sidewalks. And we'll talk about leaving town. It's just like the perfect song to just like sing along to and when you see it live and the whole crowd is like you know <laughs> yeah singing it back at it the is, band. it's i mean it's just so good it's a must play i think yeah. and this this is one of those songs that really shows how good roger's voice is yeah the way it just sails over the top yeah i try to sing it in my car like at their shows we're like watching on tour <laughs> or something and it's just like i can't hit those notes i try to but you know they don't, i don't sound like roger that's for damn yeah. sure <laughs> like he just nails it but it's just such a catchy song it's such a cool opening riff and it was just so different for lesson jake at the time mm -hmm. we never really heard him do something that was like a pop rock punk song yeah. you know i don't know <laughs> whatever you want to call and they it they did that a few times on this record so we'll, we'll hear a, a couple they more do. instances where they really soften it up a little bit and it's yeah, cool because it adds a little texture to the record you know yeah and i remember hearing this song and thinking like remembering like man i hope this gets on the radio or something that'd be cool for it's them criminal that it didn't no, and it's funny because I feel like a lot of people probably were the opposite and like would have been mad. But I always 
feel like I championed for bands. I was just oh, always yeah. like, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully they get famous because who knows? It's not like I had any idea how the radio worked at the time. I was like <laughs> 11th grade. So I was just like, this song should be on the radio because it sounds good. Hell yeah. All right, next up, Hell Looks a Lot Like L.A. Another great lesson, Jake, song about getting the hell out of town. <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot of songs about that, yet they always pull it off well, yeah. right? Isn't it weird? Like it's It's always great. Yeah, in this one, we get glimpses into the lives of two different teens. Vacant minds from endless grinds, so what's to lose anyways? Another fast food job? Another 8 to 5? It's funny that they didn't go 9 to 5. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. It, I thought the same thing. I was thinking earlier, and I put that down. And I was thinking about it because I was like, 8 to 5 is such a weird time to pick because it doesn't flow as good as 9 to 5. Seriously. And it's, it's not it. the normal time to say. Yeah. <laughs> so... I hope they just did it on purpose because of that, because that would make me so happy. Yeah, eight doesn't sound as soft as nine. It doesn't slide in there quite as much, but quite as well. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, eight to five. It's just a straightforward ripping tune. I, you know, I always like the song, and I was interested to discover that UK versions of this album come with a with a movie quote from the 1997 movie Playing God. Uh, those versions, really? and I looked it up. I found it on YouTube, of course. You can hear David Duchovny saying. Hell does not always look like hell. On a good day, it can look like a lot like L.A. So <laughs> that's awesome, actually. That's a that's I'm sure perfect. Why they that took that sense. off for the U.S. version, or yeah, I wonder why. I mean, it's probably I'm sure some weird legal issue or something course, is yeah. my guess, or something. But that's actually a great quote for that song. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it is. It's a song about you know leaving town, but also it's got just like a heart to it, and it's got. A driving there's always like a driving something behind less than jake songs and it makes you feel pumped yeah and this and i feel like their horns are a big part of that i feel like less than jake horns they're just so distinctive they really are and so I, I probably say this all the time when i talk about less than jake that baritone saxophone really is something that i deeply miss i i we did an episode on losing streak uh, a while back on this show and we talked a lot about the barry yeah. sax and, you know, that's something that I deeply miss. Uh, the, the live DVD that came with my, my vinyl of Borders and Boundaries, uh, Chris makes a crack about uh, Darren. He goes, hey, he came and he played on the, the best three Lesson Jake albums and then he quit. And he quit at the right time. <laughs> and that's I don't know funny. if I agree with him. There's certainly some great Lesson Jake records that followed. But yeah, I do miss sure. that baritone sax. I love that deep sound. Uh, and it really, I feel like, was a distinct signature sound for the, for the band. There really was. And, and this album, I think showcases it in a cooler way because for some reason to me, there's something about when they're just playing cool riffs and like more power cordy kind of like distorted rock guitar yeah. with that baritone and the horns in there. Like you said, that just give it this sound. that was just so distinctive. Like you said, yeah, there's just nothing that sounds like mm -hmm. it. And it's just a very cool sound for sure. Yeah. Mr. Chevy celebrity. Great song. One of, another, maybe one of my favorites on this the song album. is hilarious. It, <laughs> it really it is and i will say again this one straight up i get losing streak vibes after the borders and boundaries i yeah. feel like this song has a very losing streak vibe to me have you uh read chris's book that he put out i have not gotten to yet i really want to you should definitely read it throughout the book he talks about characters he would create and go on stage dressed as you know all these various people and you can just tell that he put a lot of time and a lot of thought into these characters it's so funny but the reason why I bring it up is because this song sounds exactly like the many descriptions of these oddball personalities that he describes in the book. These, <laughs> these personas, these stage personalities right. that Chris would take on. He doesn't really do it anymore. And he, he talks about why a little bit in the book. But 
so funny. Like reading the lyrics to this song is like straight out of that book. That's awesome. I need to read that. That is funny. It's such a lyrically weird song. I mean, this song is what, like I think a minute and a half yeah, long, it's maybe. Short. Minute versus as long. And I mean, it's like basically a verse, I guess, which is basically like four lines <laughs> and then kind of a hook. And it works so well. The hook is so catchy. And I mean, it's just great. Yeah. Like you said, it's so visual. It's a visual it song is. for sure. Chris describes this guy, Mark, in the song. He's the guy passing out and crashing on your couch. He's the guy pissing in the front yard of your house. He takes your mailbox out with a bat. Just funny descriptions of like a person that you would never want to associate with. Absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. Who is this guy? I feel like that. Lesson Jake is good at having characters like that in their songs, like where they do that. Like I, I don't think I ever really wrote like that, like created these characters. Mm. And I'm not saying it's created them, like they're not based off real people. I just mean, yeah, like the way they talk about them is just cool. Like it really brings you into their world. Yeah. And it's fun. And that might sound corny to say again, but it really does. It works. Yeah. Like it brings you into the world and you kind of are there and the music fits it perfectly and it just draws you in. Mm-hmm. Lightens the mood a little bit. I want to know what you were thinking. I want to know what you were drinking. Like just how catchy those lines are and just like things like that, like are just so memorable to me about this album. Yeah. Well, speaking of memorable songs, we got to get into Gainesville Rock City. Oh, Definitely one I mean, of the landmarks of this record. This is a Lesson Jake classic, absolutely, and it rightfully so, I think. Yeah. Oh, I love this song. <laughs> it's really it's really good. I mean, there's a lot of things we can talk about here. I mean, where do you want to begin? I just love it because of what it is. It's just a big rocking send up to the like the pop metal and stadium rock bands that yeah. like they proudly love. I mean, Chris wears like Twisted Sister t shirts and winger t shirts. I mean, he oh. loves this stuff. And it's not loves really it. a metal song. Loves it. But it's got like a total metal vibe, you know? (laughs) It does. Yeah. This, I think, is a really good example, kind of what I was talking about, of them doing things where so many bands would make it cheesy or not take it far enough. And they just have this perfect balance. It's hard to get where it's like, it is like it has like a very like classic, like rock metal, like pop, whatever you want to call that classic rock vibe riff. But they didn't go too far. Like they didn't put too much on it and all these gang vocals. But they still did it enough where it totally mixes it up, but it still works. Like it completely draws you in. It doesn't like put you off at all. And it doesn't become a novelty song, you know? No, it doesn't. And it could have. It so yeah. easily could have <laughs> because it's obviously like their hometown song. Yeah. Like the kiss type riff and all that. But, and then it still just turns into this perfect less than Jake song, which again, with Roger's soaring vocal coming into the course. Oh, I love that. And everything like that. When Roger comes in each time, that might be one of the best moments of any Less Than Jake song. He just nails it. For me. Love it. For me personally. Yeah. yeah, when he comes in. That lyric, just, I don't know, the music in that song so powerful. I love how they trade off, you know, the big horn lines, the chant, the Gainesville Rock City chant. I mean, it's all just so good. And again, the the lyrics, you know, Vinny, um, you know, and probably, again, I don't know if, if, if the other guys contributed. It sounds like Roger did some writing on this one. But anyway, Vinny, at least, is the kind of writer who definitely draws heavily upon, you know, experiences and surroundings. 
And I love the line yeah. he writes, I feel like I'm a speck thrown on the map. <laughs> yeah, that's a great lyric. Far from home and probably homesick, he longs for a place he feels half a world away from. And though many of the songs speak of wanting to get the hell out of town, like we talked about earlier, you know, there's this powerful draw to the place they call home, you know? I like that. I agree with you. I think it's trying to find that balance and that's a big part of life. And they're talking about that a lot. And I agree. And I think the cool part about that first verse here, kind of going back to what we said at the beginning of look what happened. So we kind of hear a different Chris too. Like when Chris comes in singing that this map hung up on the truck stop, Mm. it's a different, you know, lower register poppy vibe, Mm. but it's not like a pop song by any means compared to look what happened. And it's really cool to hear Chris do that. I remember listening to this when it first came out here in that verse and just being like, this is cool. Like this is different. They were trying some new things for sure. I love it. <laughs> and the video is pretty funny too. Have you ever seen the video where they, <laughs> yes, it's a great dressed video. up as tourists <laughs> and they're going around Gainesville. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great video. It's just cool to see him champion Gainesville. I mean like, yeah. and it's so sincere, like the way they do it, the love and hate for it. And right. I think that's why it's so cool. You're not getting too much of either. You're getting enough of both. All the landmarks and stuff. It's kind of like suburban myth and how they, you know, they show you the liquor stores or they were into and the places yeah. they were, <laughs> the places they bought records. It's just really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. It draws you right in there. Like you just feel like, yeah, they just do that so well. And a great way to end the side. So we flip the record over and malt liquor tastes better when you've got problems. Start side B. Good song. Uh, yeah, if you're not sure what this song's about, uh, go ahead and give that title another look. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's about drinking and coping and things like that, I think. Yeah. And, uh, it's still short. I feel like this, a lot of songs on this album are like shorter overall. I think what, maybe one or two songs reach over three minutes. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too. Cause I said earlier, and I still think this way that they, they do give the songs more room to breathe as far as like musical parts but a lot of the songs still are shorter too which is cool i don't know it's just who knows i don't know what that means because well i think i do because the song reaches a point where just roger and chris sing over muted guitar like everything cuts out I think you hear a whistle blow at some point in the song. And then yes, I, <laughs> this horn section and that jumping chorus comes back. And so it's kind of cool because, again, you have these different parts. Uh, the record kind of, you know, moves up and down a little bit. It makes a shorter song like this feel a little longer. It does. And I agree. I think it's cool, too. It's coming right after Gainesville Rock City. The riff at the beginning of this, again, is such a cool riff. Like, that's like a rock riff. Yeah. <laughs> like, riffs like that are just not stuff you heard on Less Than Jake songs back in the day, I feel like, as much. Yeah. And just to come in with, like, this kind of riff riff was really cool and really catchy. And it was just cool to hear them pull out, keep on pulling out these new tricks, kind of, like, where you just feel like, oh, they keep on trying these new things and they're working successfully. And it was so cool to hear them kind of build and incorporate as a band throughout the album like that to me. And this song, again, talks about living, yeah, and talks about paycheck to paycheck. Yep. I feel like that was a big theme through a lot of this album is like kind of like, should I quit my job? Should things like this, because even though it says things like that, and scraping by and half the check goes to rent, when I should be out looking for another job. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's interesting. There's a lot of talk stuff like that on this album, I feel like. Yeah, alcohol is a crutch and, you know, the coping mechanism. And, you know, it's so yeah. easy to seek alternatives to dealing with life's incredibly difficult challenges sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Bad scene in a basement show. 
Another great one, man. Yes. I love this. I love this friggin' song too. I mean, I never ever paid attention to the narrative on this one because in 2000, 2001, all I needed to hear on this one was it gets worse before it's all over. I know I'll get through this somehow. And again, I you know, hearing this record back then and the things I was going through, I just heard that over and over again. Like I'd never even knew what the song was about for the longest time. I just I didn't need to. That line yeah. was really all I needed. <laughs> Yeah, because that, that's what it was about to you at the yeah. time. So that's all that matters. Like you said, it got you through some stuff. I agree. That is the best part of the song for me, too. I mean, it always stood out to me as well. I think when it gets to the, it gets worse before, before it's all over is really powerful. Yeah. I think this song to me um, had a G&V vibe. So again, mm. like all the vibes of me all over the place. So mm. I don't know. I'm just saying these because I don't know if other people agree or not. But like as I was listening to it, I just kept on hearing all these different types of Less Than Jake's. And I was just like, I thought it was cool kind of hear all of that in different ways bad scene and a basement show just is like a perfect song title i remember seeing that when i was like in 11th grade being like oh that's a cool song title yeah. you know what i mean like i was like i wish i would have thought of that song title just like lesson jake has is always good with clever little catchy song titles that aren't too much right like they're not fallout boy yeah you know okay. like man where it's like here's four sentences <laughs> or something like that but they always had catchy nice little quips for song titles i feel like definitely and this one, like the last one, toward the end, it drops down to just Kristen on the guitar. You know, it's something we've heard a few times on the album where the band just kind of bring it down for maybe just a little bit with one or two instruments, and then bring it back up again. It's kind of cool. Uh, they do I, did, I agree with you. I feel like they didn't let the songs breathe as much before. There was always like, I think they were just kind of a punk band. So like, I don't think they really thought about mm. it probably as much would be my guess. Kind of Obviously, I'm not going to speak yeah. for them. But yeah, I think like slowing down and kind of finding more music and melodic parts, I think it was cool. And you're right, they do that a lot more here and you kind of hear it and it, and it works. You know, I wanted more of it when I heard it. Oh, like, definitely. I was, I mean, I think I'm sure you agree too. And most people did when Anthem came out. And this is an interesting thing I'll say about this album is I feel like, I don't know about you, but I feel like I talked to a lot of people that like, like Less Than Jake that really liked Losing Streaker, Hello Rock View, and like Anthem that never heard this album. And it's always weird to me because I'm just like, man, if you like Anthem, like you should listen to Borders and Boundaries. Cause I feel like they're very different albums, but I feel like this is where you hear them kind of going into what Anthem became. Yeah. And it's, it's a big piece of the puzzle to, in my opinion, at least like as a listener, at least. Oh, I absolutely agree. Definitely. Well, this was the independent sandwich between the two major label records. So yeah, it kind of got yeah. lost a little bit in the shuffle and didn't it, receive the same promotion uh, as those records did who knows what would have happened if it did. I mean, I, I think Anthem definitely makes more sense like mm -hmm. for the record that got as big as it did, but this record really helped establish that. I feel like, and it's just, yeah. And the next song is this thing on, they actually had Tom Lord out mix it. Like we mentioned earlier with Chris, probably for a possible single. It certainly has the makings of a single. I mean, it's got softer parts, buildups. The song starts with those clean single notes. You know, as Chris starts That is off. true. When we first talked about the Tom Lord Ouch thing, I remember thinking, that's weird. Like, this is kind of a weird single choice. And then when I did listen to it more, not that I didn't like it. It's a great song, yeah. but I just as a single, you know what yeah. I mean? I was just like, compared to maybe some other ones. But then as I was listening to it, you're right. Like, I started listening to all the intricacies, and I was like, no, I mean, yeah, definitely. It's definitely, it's a really catchy song. Um, I think there's some really good lyrics in there. Yeah, I really like that you're on your own. You can't make it through this world all alone. Yeah, it's this thing like on, that yeah. really. I remember resonated <laughs> with me really got stuck well. Always in my head. As, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. It's so sing-songy. You know, it's like, <laughs> you can't help but sing along. It really it. is. Yeah, it was a great song. And I think it was one of the longer songs on the album, I feel like. So, I mean, that makes sense maybe as a single. This is a really solid Less Than Jake song. And I'm not saying that to discount. It's just like, I don't have any particular memories or thoughts on the mm-hmm. song, but it's just a really solid, catchy, good song. It's another song about feeling lost and unglued. Chris sings, I've yeah. been on that ledge countless times, and I know what that feels like. The song speaks of becoming disconnected from friends and a general feeling of confusion. And so, yeah, I always liked that. I always liked how in the second verse, it's the same guitar as in the intro, but this time it's distorted. I always thought that was kind of cool. And one thing I noticed that there's there's no horns in this song. There's no horns in this one. and There's no horns in the next song either. (laughs) Yeah. And I will say I could have sworn there were in my head, but I thought I heard them. Maybe I'm just so used to that less than Jake horn sound. Phantom horns. But yeah, I don't know. That is interesting. I wonder... I wonder if that was a conscious decision. I wonder if they just I wonder, you know, single, single-minded. If yeah, because I wonder, I wonder if it was that, or I wonder if they just didn't fix. I mean, to be fair, you know, there were songs on Hello Rock View and things that didn't have horns yeah. or Losing Streak that definitely weren't really single songs. Like just like Frank on Hello Rock View, I don't think had right. horns. Yeah, that yeah, really wasn't a single song. But to be fair, they they mixed it with a very big mixer. Yeah. at the time, <laughs> like they did a lot of radio work. So you gotta you gotta wonder. All right, let's take a look at Pete Jackson is getting married. Another hilarious I, song. I, I love this big one. Big fan of this song. Just a song about a redneck yeah. wedding. <laughs> it is. It's so good. The lyrics are great. There's a glockenspiel in it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there is. Which that and it, it is the most perfect glockenspiel ever. Like there's three ding notes. It totally caught me off guard when I first heard that. I was like, "Wait, what? What?" It's so loud. <laughs> <What is that? laughs> like, it's, it seems like it's like unnecessarily loud, but it's not because it's so loud that it's perfect. Yeah. Because it's just like so quick and just there. So funny. Like and we're I not just, gonna have horns in this one, but we're gonna do the Glockenspiel. Just ping pong. <laughs> the Glockenspiel, though. <laughs> those three notes are definitely going in, no matter what happens. <laughs> Be right. It's just like about like a southern like wedding, and like just again, I feel like the imagery in this song yeah it's just so good you feel like you're there like when they were talking about like smelling his cousin's polo and things yeah. like that like the grandpa's old spice the swedish meatballs look so tempting <laughs> and it's funny because if you just read that those lyrics on paper you know what i mean oh God, like with yeah. no context you'd just be like what is this song you know what right. i mean but then you hear it and, and if you told somebody like listen here's the song here's the lyrics out here in it there's a glockenspiel in it and it's like a punk band. People would just be like, what? You know, but like, then you hear it and you're just like, oh, okay. Yeah, this all makes perfect sense and is very catchy. And it's just fun. I mean, and you can tell they had fun in the studio. Like, they're probably all in the booth watching Roger yeah. try to sing Swedish meatballs and his two fat aunts <laughs> might even fight. And you can tell they were laughing. Like, I bet it took them a, a few different takes to try to hit that without laughing about it. It just sounds, to me, I mean, I don't know what, what they were doing in the studio. I'm just, I'm just guessing sure. that... It had to have been fun to have been goofing around and singing these lines and like, you know, these guys have a great sense of humor and you can tell this is just a fun one to do. 100%. Yeah, they do a lot of cool, interesting vocal stuff too. They do like these overlapping na-na-nas and... And there, yeah, I was, I was actually going to say there are some na-nas in this song, which you don't really hear less than Jake do no. a lot of na-nas. No, you really don't. It's, it's it's a rare one. I feel like that's something they don't they don't put into their songs very often. So it was cool to hear for sure. 
I wondered if this song referred to Peter Jackson, the director. But I don't think so, especially when you consider the band's pattern of using names like Johnny Quest, who turned out not to be the same person as the cartoon, and Doug Hastings, who turned out to not be uh, you know, the one-time guitarist for Buffalo Springfield. It's just their weird way of like using names, but not making the song <laughs> about the, pers- like the, the famous person that you think it might be about. <laughs> That's true. I would honestly love if this song was about Peter Jackson, the <laughs> Lord of the Rings director's wedding, yeah. though. That would make me very excited. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, the next song is 1989. 1989. That's a good one. Seemingly written in 1999 and looking back on the past <laughs> 10 years. Yeah, yeah, which is right there in the first lyrics. Mm-hmm. It's very introspective. It feels like a journal, kind of. It is, and it's another song that's kind of more about, like, you know, had these plans mm. and uh, don't know if I really pulled them off. Like, did I fuck everything up? Which I think is awesome because, I mean, man, like you said, you could be in college or we could be our age now or a kid, but at some point in your day or at least month, you're thinking, man, did I just fuck everything Absolutely. up? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty yeah, dark so stuff definitely... if you think about it. Things not working out, like you said, the mistakes that were made. Do you feel like the hard times are mountains you've climbed lying awake? I just love that line. Yeah, Holy cow. It's Yeah, that's that's a heavy line right there, right? Like it. it really is. And, and then I think going into the ending, just of like saying like the countless mistakes, all the times I've changed, mm-hmm. and then just ending on every single day. Yeah. Is uh you're right, like that's heavy. It hits like, you. That really yeah. Is. That's a yeah. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Less than Jake also does have a habit of putting like their heavier like I'm saying heavy emotionally, of course. Not like musically heavy, mm-hmm. but like heavy emotionally songs towards the end of their albums. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a less than Jake move a lot of the mm-hmm. times. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And this isn't the end of the album by any means, obviously, but it's still kind of, you know, it's towards the end of the album. All right, let's take a look at Last Hour of the Day of Work. This one's cool because it fades up with the dual guitar lines. In interviews I've read over the years, Roger has always stated that he has played guitar on a lot of Less Than Jake records. When I watched that live DVD playthrough that came with my Borders and Boundaries vinyl, on that live show, Roger actually picks up a guitar. Him and Chris are playing the guitars, and Buddy actually takes over the bass for that for that one song. So that's definitely probably that's Roger really playing cool. that, that high note um, intro part, which is pretty cool. That's interesting. Yeah. That is really cool, actually. I like that. That is cool. I think this is this is a really good song for sure. I think this is another one of those song titles that when I was eleventh grade and saw the album, I was like, "That's a great song title." Wish I would have thought yeah. of it. <laughs> it's just not one of those. I it is. But I think, yeah. I mean, it's about. I think this one, last hour, last day of work. This is a song about slaving your life away and not doing the things you want to do. Yeah, not getting lost you know? in the ugliness think- of some job. Yeah, it's about it's about not losing your life to yeah things that you don't even care about. It's particularly work in this case, mm-hmm. but I think the overall theme is definitely just about in general, you know, not losing your life to shit that you don't like and yeah, like you can't work spend being a big one for a lot of people. All your time doing something you hate, you know. Yeah, I think I, I really like the lyric that says, "So when ambition turns into competition, I'll never be the better man." Yeah, I think that's a real cool lyric. That's a cool line. 
I feel like most people that have a normal job would love the idea of being able to quit oh, sure. and like being wealthy enough to not go back in. You know, I mean, it's a great thought. So yeah. especially if you hate your job, I mean, a lot of us, I mean, I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I don't, mm-hmm. but you know, a lot of people are out there doing things they don't like, and I've been there and hopefully, you know, I might be there again. So yeah. I, this is an easily relatable song. Oh, it totally is. And it never really takes off. It's just kind of like this head banging tempo. It's kind of like a yeah. big driving not anthem the album kind of song, but like anthemish song, like just yeah. a, you know, <laughs> hands is, up yeah. in the air, sort of like you know, that driving. This always tempo. felt like a last song on the album to me. It does, yeah. I was actually just thinking that. Yeah, I, I, it really did. And even the name of it and everything, it was interesting. It's interesting that there something came after it, which luckily a great song came after it. But this didn't feel like a last song to yeah. me. So bigger picture comes next, and. This is a song, I mentioned that live DVD, they joked about wanting to skip this song <laughs> and then proceeded to mess it up. So I don't think that, uh, I'm sure the band loves all their songs, but I'm sure that if they had uh, some songs that they didn't care for, this might be it. Which is, I don't, I don't, I don't understand why, I think this is a great song. Yeah, it's a really good song. I, like, I don't have as much to say about this as other Lesson Jake songs to to a degree, but that's okay. I mean, when you're a band that's written, what, how many, yeah. 200 songs or whatever. I yeah. mean, sure, like, this is a great song, though. Again, like, yeah, there's no reason you'll want this not on the album. Right. It's a catchy song. Again, it's got good lyrics. That whole ending part of the I'm breaking down, I'm burning out. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that that's, like, some classic Less Than Jake, like, almost Hello Rock View kind of, like, vibes to me of just yeah that whole not getting burnt out i think yeah this is i think this is a really cool song i'm sure they were teasing but roger sings i love the line your self-doubt has your head so turned around there's not a catchphrase that can save you and it's not that hard to figure out disappointment doesn't have to cut to a commercial now all this while playing that fantastic bass line i just love the way it like rattles around in the background you know, this song compares real life to television in that like every problem you've probably ever had or every challenge you've been faced with has probably been the subject of like, you know, some sitcom. Like, let's face it, sitcoms have covered everything, right? <laughs> but, yeah, but you know, yeah. when it happens to you, <laughs> it's not funny. You know, there's no laugh track. There's no way to solve it in under 22 minutes. You know, it's like, yeah, so it's kind of a neat this is... way to sort of compare <laughs> life and compare art, television. and This is the... Uh the serious version of too much drama from the vandals yeah. <laughs> to where they're to where they're singing about television for all their song. life. This is like the darker, this is the darker serious version mm-hmm. of it. But no, I think it's a great metaphor and I think, yeah, this is a really good song. I think it's a, it's just a good solid song. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Brings us to the closer. And so I like the last hour of the last day of work as a closer, but I think, I think faction wins. I, I agree. I mean, it's just a strong song. It's got that great strike yeah. a match and hope it lasts. Here's to following your own yeah. lead line, which I just think is great. Yeah. And that's another big lesson Jake theme, I think, is while you're trying to figure shit out in life, you're going to have your good days with your friends. You're going to have your depressed, dark, alone in your room days. Yeah. But try to figure it out on your own and take your own lead. And I think that's a cool lesson Jake thing. They talked about a lot. Vinny touched on a lot. And whoever, I mean, like you said, yeah, wrote on a lot was take your own lead, like do your own mm-hmm. thing. Just do it the right way. Yeah. You know, like it poses that question. Is it better to compromise yourself, you know, your virtues to fit in? Yeah. Or, you know, go your own way and, you know, maybe become an outcast. But I mean, you know, you got to weigh, you got to weigh the options, I guess. 
Uh, it's a tough call. Right, like, do you, but, yeah. you know, by the end of do the you song, want it's the path that I've taken, and he says, "I hope it lasts." So it's, Which is cool. I kind of, I kind of like it ending on an unsure note. I feel like a lot yeah. of bands would choose to end there on a positive note, like a note. I feel like because people want want affirmations. I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of bands just naturally want to end on like a, and I, I did it. I figured it out. We're here. Right. And, you know, they don't. <laughs> like, it's finish. kind of like man. I'm okay right now. Mm. I hope that it lasts. Yeah. I think that's a really cool way to end a record. And I like I like the music in this song a lot. I like the music at the beginning. I think it's a little different too. Yeah, it kind of switches um, between just, ska and punk. Yeah, it's just it's just like a cool ending, but it's it doesn't switch between ska and punk like it doesn't hit you over the head with that. It just kind of is natural. And just the lyrics of this song, again, I just think are so good. Like I think mm just the beginning and i wonder if you'd understand if i said i'll never go never go along again if i told you just that whole entire verse like that's like you know tattoo on someone's arm type lyrics like yeah okay you know what i think that's just one of those lyrics like yeah and i always love when they back the choruses with the horns and i just feel like that gives it that extra yes. layer kind of amplifies yeah. the chorus and so to have that big sounding chorus at the end of the record just seems very very fitting I agree. I agree again. And that, that's again where those horn lines just like they give it that sound. Yeah. Like it gives it a lesson Jake sound that no one else really really has. All right, Ryan, let's take a quick look at the art. We talked a little bit about the artwork with yeah. Chris. He mentioned he didn't he didn't like the updated, much more yellow artwork. <laughs> you got two versions of this, you know. The cover art on both features a map of the area around their home city of Gainesville, Florida. With the booklet cover art uh, featuring a photograph of trombonist Pete Anna saluting the Statue of Liberty. Now, mine doesn't have that, but, you know, you mentioned the spinning wheel that I remember the CD had. Yeah. And that was cool. You could line yeah, the up CD any city and see how many miles it was from Gainesville. <laughs> from Gainesville, it was like eight or ten cities or something, yeah. and it just showed you how far it was. It was cool. Yeah. And I, I like I like the colors on the reissue, but then again, I really like bright, ridiculous colors. Yeah. I like <laughs> my shoes look like that. Like I just always have, so I, I can understand. I think it looks cool. But. Yeah, it is really cool. And the inside, I think, is really cool because on my vinyl copy, you've got a map of the world, and there's all these like spots on the map. And I want to brag a little bit because Amherst, <laughs> Massachusetts, which is right over the bridge from where I live, is represented uh on this map and they talk about amherst mass we played between the roots in the sugar hill gang and loved every minute of it so amherst massachusetts represented on the lesson jake album it's kind of cool there's all these different places and little blurbs about you know shows tours people they met uh and there we are that's amazing Amherst mass not amherst amherst all right so (laughs) (laughs) one other uh point of interest i wanted to point out is that the sibling team of Richard and Stephanie Rains, who co-owned Drive Through Records, took uh, the photographs yeah. for this album. So that's kind of cool. Oh, did they? That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. I know there was some history there. Yeah. And then it came out on Fat, which is cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. An album photographs by the Drive Through Records people recorded for Capital that came out on Fat. And that's the legacy. There's of a lot of boundaries. <laughs> a lot of moving pieces going on there for a record that's a lot of great. That, like I said, I. A record that I think more people should should listen to for sure. It's it's just such a good record. In conclusion, Borders and Boundaries came out in a weird time in my life, but the music causes me to think fondly back to how great music like this can really help you through those times. 
It was more punk rock oriented, but I never recall that being a deterrent for me. I loved Less Than Jake as a ska band, but equally as a punk band. Some of my favorite songs on Pezcore were straight up punk rock songs. It's a great record, but it often slips below the radar, sitting between the monstrous Hello Rock view and the Titan anthem. According to bassist Roger on Louder.com, it's just a shame we didn't have the marketing and promotion that we'd had with the previous couple of records on this one, and I kind of feel like it got pushed under the rug a little bit. It's a solid record. I just wish more people would be exposed to it at the time. I agree. I think Roger summed it up perfectly. It is. I think it got pushed under the record a little bit and not overall. It's not like no one knows it exists by any means, but yeah, I think if it had the promotion of the other ones, I think it would be up there right alongside because it's just crazy to me more. So is like people consider Anthem losing streak and hello rock view classic less than Jake and borders is right there in the middle being like, Hey, here's all these super good songs right here. (laughs) And we're also right in the middle of these classic albums that you're listening. And it's just always as weird to me. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Right. You got to go back and put that in there too. And that's what we did here today. We showed it some love and we hope that uh, <laughs> we caused anyone listening to go back and check out borders of boundaries. Ryan, I was so excited when you suggested this record. I was like, yes. Oh, that makes me happy. You know, I'm so glad it makes me happy. Thanks for having me. This has that's been awesome. Real, and I appreciate doing yeah. it. Appreciate you coming I'm down on. to talk music anytime with anybody ever. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. I'd like to send a huge thanks to Chris for popping on to share some insights into how the record was made. I'd like to extend a further thanks to Chris for the wonderful theme music you heard at the beginning of the episode. And thank you, yeah, you, for tuning in to Talking Records. Our goal here is to try and gather information about albums we love so you can learn a bit more about how they were made and the times around them. We also like to share how we found these albums and encourage you to share your stories with us on social media pages, email, wherever you can get to us. We're always glad to hear from you. Thanks for your support of the show. Support Less Than Jake by ordering merch and vinyl. Check out Ryan's music, Massive Nights, Mixtapes. Ryan, did we leave anything out? Yeah, check out Trash Pop by Massive Nights. I'd appreciate it. I think you'll enjoy it. All right, take care, everyone. Use a Q-tip to knock that bit of dust off the needle on your record player. Keep those records spinning. Take care.